Good afternoon, and welcome to Citizen K, a weekly current affairs program featuring in-depth interviews and perspectives. I'm Kareem Mosna. This week on Citizen K. Stations like this are the front lines in the fight for our democracy. This is where people have access to the airwaves like nowhere else. And if we don't preserve places like this, voices like this, access to Canadian airwaves like this, our whole society is in a lot of trouble. On October 7th, 1922, this very radio station first took to the airwaves. Exactly a century later to the day, this past Friday, a centennial plaque was unveiled just outside the CFRC studios. Mayor Brian Patterson, MPP Ted Shu, Queen's Principal Patrick Dean, and Alex Friedman of the Community Radio Fund of Canada shared their thoughts on the value of the station and on campus radio stations. Coincidentally, October 7th was also World College Radio Day. Coming up, my full conversation with Alex Friedman, as well as two long-standing CFRC volunteers who received awards recognizing their over 40 consecutive years of broadcasting. First, though, amid fears of evictions, over 700 have signed an online petition asking the City of Kingston to stop the planned encampment evictions by the Integrated Care Hub. The petition was started by Mutual Aid Cataraqui Kingston. I visited the encampment and spoke with resident Lacey McNeil, as well as mutual aid member Clara Langley. There is concerns um, as uh, with the encampment protocol basically back in effect from Kingston City Council. Uh, what is the main fear here? Uh, the main fear is that there will be a big eviction of uh, the site. Um, as you can see, uh, there are many people that live here. Um, and while we don't have like inside scoop of um, a planned eviction on the part of the city, uh, the history suggests that um, because they've done larger evictions in the fall time, that one might be imminent. Um, and as well, as you mentioned, because they've reenacted the encampment protocol, um, Different parks around the city and encampments, smaller encampments there, have already been evicted. And so um, there's some like grounds for it to happen here. And um, whatever their actual plans are, mm-hmm. the fears of an eviction are very real and are felt by residents here. Um, so I think it's important that we note that as well, um, no matter what happens. And going deeper into this, so, I mean... They're right next to the integrated care hub, which, from what I understand, is really providing some really essential services for them right now. And and, and to be um, evicted from here, tell me about some of what is at stake. Yeah, um, so an eviction here would be a matter of life and death, and that's not exaggerating. Um, the... Being in close proximity to the ICH um, has been huge in terms of, um, you know, we're in the midst of a drug poisoning crisis and um, the ICH has um, had a part in reversing um, over 600 opioid overdoses, Mm -hmm. um, the controlled treatment uh, center. Um, And so we know the effect of evictions is to um, disperse people and push them further into um, the woods for shelter. And of course, this drives um, them away from life-saving services. So um, it's almost certain that deaths would um, 
be a result of an eviction and um, to go forward with a policy and evict uh, this encampment in particular, um, it would be committing to a policy that has a very high chance of harm and of killing people. Um, yeah. I, I, I know the situation obviously is very complicated with regards to uh, the property not being city-owned and those concerns that council has brought up. And I know council has put forth, you know, they've been debating temporary short-term solutions. But from what I understand, these solutions aren't going to solve these issues. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a couple of points here to um, to get to. The first is that, uh, so the encampment protocol does reference what the city considers to be alternative options. Um, and they have uh, suggested that as of fall 2022, um, there would be an increase in shelter spaces, um, as well as 54 additional transitional housing options for people. Um, but it is unclear whether or not uh, these spaces are available yet, uh, whether those promises have been fulfilled. Um, and the council also refers often to um, a by names list, which is uh, basically a list of um, people who are experiencing homelessness or need um, housing supports. And they use this list to suggest that with the increases, um, there will be sufficient spaces for everyone. But uh, the number of people that are on that list is not available to the public. And so we want to know why that's not available to the public. Um, and as well, uh, we want to know whether the amount of people on that list has changed, increased, um, as we sort of speculate. Um, and then I think it's also important to note that while the city is so focused on there being just enough shelter beds, enough um, spaces for people, uh, we want to remind them that they also have a responsibility to provide uh, alternative options that meet people's needs as um, they say, so in proper consultation with uh, residents themselves about what their needs are and how um, oftentimes the available options are insufficient because they're inaccessible or they have barriers for people actually accessing them. Yeah. Maybe a sense of residents aren't feeling heard. Yeah. Um, and our um, group here, Mutual Aid Cataraqui Kingston, we like firmly believe that the people most affected by uh, an issue are the experts in um, knowing what they need and what will solve the problem and so we just want to like firmly support and encourage proper consultation with um, people themselves before um, the city says we've done our due diligence in providing options. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. That was my conversation with Mutual Aid Cataraqui Kingston member Clara Langley. Now, let's hear firsthand from encampment resident Lacey McNeil on her fears and concerns. How long have you been here in, in this encampment? Almost a year. I came last summer. Okay. Um, tell me a bit about your experience here. 
my experience here. Well, we're all just trying to survive, really. Um, the hub helps us with our necessities, like our food and our water and stuff. We wouldn't have it else otherwise. Um, we have our showers here. Um, medical assistance here. Um, what, what, what are some of your fears right now? Um, that we're going to have nowhere. That we're going to be pushed out of here and nowhere to go. There's not enough beds in the shelters. Like here there's like 150 people and maybe 50 beds. You feel that the solutions that the city has proposed are, are not adequate? Well, they proposed a lot of help and all that, but none of it has come through. A lot of promises and empty ones at that. Um, the ICH... How, how has the ICH personally been helpful to you here? Well, basically everything the city promised to help us with, like the water, the garbage disposal, showers, food, all that, the hub is providing for us since the city hasn't. Perhaps just tell me a little bit about um, a typical day for you. Um, I don't know, you just get up and try and live a normal life, try and look for a place, try and look for work and try and survive. Um, we all help each other out here as much as we can. There's a, a sense of community. Do you find a sense of community here at, at this encampment? Well, yeah. We all know each other and we all like live around each other and together we're all neighbors. So, yeah, it is a community. We're about to head into um, a municipal election. Is there any messages you would like to send to those uh, that are running for election? Um, I don't know, maybe stick to the promises you make when you are trying to get elected. And um, housing is a big major issue. They need to do something about it because there's not enough housing here that we can afford on Ontario Works or ODSP. And you can't really get a place here unless you're a Queen student. Lacey, thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, not a problem. That was Lacey McNeil, a resident in the encampment just outside the ICH. This uh, amidst a petition that has been signed by over 700 people asking the city of Kingston to halt the planned encampment evictions. My name is Kareem Mosna. You're listening to Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and on podcast. And CFRC celebrating a major milestone, 100 years since we first went on the air. And this past Friday, there was a plaque unveiling ceremony just outside the station to recognize the centennial. Two of our volunteers who have broadcasted for over 40 years were also recognized. We'll hear from both Jim Birch and Wayne Vermette coming up. But first, here's my conversation with the Executive Director of the Community Radio Fund of Canada, Alex Friedman here to tell us about the power of CFRC and campus radio. This is Canada's oldest campus radio station. Um, what, what do you feel that says about the, the power of campus radio? Campus radio occupies a very special place in Canada's broadcasting world. Um, it, is, it is a part of the community. These are volunteers from the community. 
it is run by people from the community and it is run for the community. These are the voices of the community. When we think about who we are as a society, we are made up of the people who surround us. And Campus Radio connects those voices. Campus Radio is the first place you hear those early Canadian artists. People like Katie Lang got her start on Campus Radio. Uh, the early DJ, Sheila Rogers, started on this radio station so many years ago. This is the place where those original voices get their first moments to have a microphone in front of them. And it's a really special moment. So it's it's a really unique place that a station like this plays in this community. And it's a real honor to be here to celebrate the 100th anniversary. I understand a big part of your work is lobbying governments. Uh, Tell me about some of the challenges and maybe some of the the misperceptions around campus radio that maybe you come across. Oh, well, I mean, you know, we hear a lot, Wayne's World. We hear a lot, Birkenstock-wearing hippies who throw on Inagata DeVita and run out and smoke (laughs) a joint as quick as they can. It is is that, and it is so much more than that. Um, People don't understand that... These are truly the only broadcasters who are there on the ground in the community. And when you think about stations that have much more subsidies or much more advertising, that kind of come in and leave. And that's a great, that you know, they have their role. These are the people that live in the community. These are the people that live and die by what goes out and over that signal. And that's pretty special. That's a very good point with more and more, uh, you know, voice tracked uh, and perhaps lack of local news on, on many radio stations. Uh, that's, as you're saying, like, we still have that. We still have people here uh, in the community talking to people in the community. Uh, t- tell me a little bit more about, uh, about what, what people should really know about a radio station like this. Well, look. You touched on something. We live in an age of disinformation. And it's politicians are making hay off of undermining the local information. Um, there is a lot of literature out there. And there's no question that the front lines against disinformation is local news, local media, local voice. Why? Because we trust them. I've said this before. We know them. We trust them. We know that they're impacted by the information in the same way we are. So when I see a tweet from CFRC... I know that it comes from people who are here. When I'm trying to cut through the chaff on social media, I know that I can trust the people from this station because you know where they're coming from. And quite frankly, if you don't like it, you know where they are, right? And so that's what's so important. So as a voice in the fight against disinformation, and I'm not going to, this is not overly dramatic. Stations like this are the front lines in the fight for our democracy. This is where people have access to the airwaves like nowhere else. And if we don't preserve places like this, voices like this, access to Canadian airwaves like this, our whole society is in a lot of trouble. Executive Director of the Community Radio Fund of Canada, Alex Friedman, sharing some thoughts on CFRC Centennial and on campus radio. Now, former CFRC station manager Steve Cutway was at the ceremony at the plaque unveiling, and he presented two achievement awards to volunteers Wayne Vermette, who hosts the Blues Project, and Jim Birch, host of the Canadian Shield. I spoke with both Wayne and Jim to learn about how they got their start at the station, the evolution of CFRC, and their thoughts on the centennial. First, we hear from Jim Birch. Do you remember the first day you walked into this radio station? Yes, I do. It was, uh, it was a hard, hard, uh, hard road, let me tell you, because all you do is get banging on the doors because it was all Queens back then, right? There was no volunteers from Kingston. And uh, they finally just let me in, like I said, and... Uh, 
from there I was I was ready to go, man. You know, it was great back then too. We had two frequencies. We had the big 1490 and the 91.9, and uh, I ended up shutting it down in 1990 actually, the two stations, and then we went stereo and 1019 because those two stations were mono, even the FM back then. So it was kind of a poopy sound, you know, but we got out, you know, and now we're getting out all over the world, you know, which is great. You know, the internet's great, yeah. you know, it's, it's moved things up quite a bit. So much evolution, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes, lots of evolution in radio, that's for sure. It's ever changing, you know, <laughs> right? So Let, Let's come back to, so uh, what was your first show about that you did? I used to do a show called Nocturne. And I signed on the station at 6 o'clock at night, and we went till 2 in the morning. We run a 24-hour station back then. Mm -hmm. uh, we were just uh, eight hours because of Fleming Hall next door. They had experiments going on, mm -hmm. like they were saying, and uh, we interrupted them. So we had to have limited hours. So uh, I signed on the station, go warm up the transmitter up in Fleming Hall, run up there, three flights of stairs, you know, run, warm up for 20 minutes, sign it on at 20 after. Uh, I used to do a show called, a little thing called Happenings. And we used to have little cue cards, and it would tell people about what's going on in Kingston. People would send them in, you know. And then at 6.30, the show would start, and it was a little bit of everything. It was like uh, folk, blues, you name it. It was everything, you know. So uh, I did that, I think, until 8 o'clock or something like that. And then somebody else came on. One thing about CFRC is it's a different station every two hours, mm -hmm. you know, or however long the show is. You know, it's, uh, it's a great thing. I, I love radio. It's got me through so much, and I love it, you know. Okay, so, I mean, now your show, The Canadian Shield, focused on classic Canadian music. Tell me how that all started. It all started with uh, Mike Cowan, who used to do the show for an hour on Tuesday nights. He gave it up. He, he couldn't do it anymore, and he said, uh, uh, do you want to do it, Jim? And I said, sure. So uh, it was an hour. Now it's two hours. So uh, it's all great Canadian uh, tunes from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and uh, I love doing it, and uh, it's, it's so easy, you know. Uh, Back then, you had to queue records up all the time back in the 80s, eh, you know, and do that for two hours. Now you just put it on a CD, put it in the CD player, and then talk. And the songs are already there and everything else is there. So it's excellent. That's actually, uh, Mike told me that. He said, why queue records? Just put everything on CD, man. So that's what I do. <laughs> it's been great, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, any thoughts on the fact that here we are, it's our centennial. Anything was maybe going through your mind today as you were coming in on this special day? It's a very emotional day, you know? Uh, I'm emotional now. Uh, I love CFRC and uh, uh, may it be here another hundred years. Amazing. And, and just want to see, have your thoughts on, on receiving this very special award of recognition for over 40 years of broadcasting. Yes, it took them till 91 to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much, CFRC. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm glad that uh, uh, they, they have honored me and Wayne. I mean, you know, we, we've been here, you know, I've been here 41, he's been here 40. I started in 1980, he started in 81. And uh, I actually uh, taught Wayne uh, on the board how to run things uh, back in the day. So, uh, you know, uh, that, that carries on, you know, to this day. Jim, congratulations and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, sir. Jim Birch can be heard here on CFRC Saturday afternoons from 4 until 6. Now, my conversation with the other award recipient, Wayne Vermette. Do you remember your, the first time you walked in here? I do. Uh, the first time was with a uh, neighbor friend of mine who was uh, 
doing a jazz show at the uh, station and he invited me to sit in. And so I uh, came to the station and uh, listened to him go on for maybe half an hour or so and he said, Wayne, would you like to uh, participate? And I felt, well, being a salesman, I shouldn't be shy of uh, speaking up and so I said, sure, I'll do that. And so he gave me a record jacket of... Uh, of an artist, three artists actually that were uh, on this Dave Brubeck, and uh, he said, no, "All I'm going to do is at the end of the of the song, say introduce you quickly, and you ha just say the names of the artists that were playing on this uh, album." And I thought, "Well, that's fair enough," and I was nervous a little bit, but anyway, he handed me the jacket and the song was over, and he said, "Okay, here's Wayne Vermet," and I said, uh, "Good evening." I just want to tell you that the artists that you listen to, and I'll name them with the instrument, uh, Dave Brubeck on piano. I forget the other gentleman at the moment. Paul Desmond. That's it. On Paul saxophone. Desmond, saxophone. And uh, who's the third guy? I'll have to look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I said whoever his name was on bass. Okay? Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we left it at that. And he said, thank you, Wayne. And he cut us off, and he's laughing like heck because I said, Wayne, it's not a fish. <laughs> it's bass. So that was my knowledge of music, musical instruments and so on. This is back in 80. Don't forget that. It was just fresh, fresh, fresh. So anyway, that was my beginning. And uh, after that, I accompanied him uh, a few more times, uh, probably a good uh, months like go by and uh, Steve Cutway was the manager at the time and uh, Ian Byers was the program director and so we got along quite well the three of us and uh, I was invited to be a, uh, a broadcaster if you want to take a, a slot uh, I said what is it and he said jazz and to me jazz was big band I thought oh well that, that's great because I grew up in my very early young years as uh, a lover of jazz. So I said, I'll do it. So the slot was from 10 till midnight. So it was the worst time you could, uh, and I had to close up the station after that and so on. But I took that uh, opportunity to introduce myself to jazz because it's way beyond big band. And I went uh, in, in confusion to the library and began at the A's and went to the Z's. And it took me two years to listen to every album as I went along. So that's how I learned that jazz is made up of so much improvisation and instrument variations that uh, it was a good education before I finally got an opportunity to switch over to a better slot after someone was leaving here to do blues in 83. Would you say blues music is, is your real passion for, in terms of uh, choosing a genre? Uh, again, no. Uh, the opportunity came up and the slot was better. Uh, I believe it was 7.30 till 8.30 was an hour show or so. And um, <clears throat> I was following a an ardent blues broadcaster, Nick Greenwood, and uh, he was leaving to go back to England, actually. And uh, it was all vinyl. There was that's it, vinyl. <clears throat> so I I had to uh, learn blues from that, and so I really went into deeply into the history of the blues, as a uh, as as its general history. But as far as music is concerned, I just chose whatever. 
and we had a great choice of very rich music, which we have still have in our library. So that was my introduction, and uh, I gently fell in love with it more and more, and it, cert- it took over uh, in short time. I'd say within six months to a year, I was comfortable with it. Beautiful. Wow. And I mean, here we are, CFRC, uh, celebrating 100 years. On October 7th, there's going to be a, a special event right outside the station. And uh, you, along with Jim Birch, are going to be honored with uh, over 40 years of consecutive broadcasting. Uh, how does all this feel to you? I was thinking, I give that a great deal of thought, because uh, 40 years gone by, uh, you wonder, all of the whys come into the picture. Why did I, why am I staying? Why why am I doing it this way? And uh, really the big why is uh, uh, sending out music to people who are, uh, don't forget, blues is originally known as, in the speaking of genres, as the music of truth and the music of healing. And how do you feel about the importance of campus and community radio in today's landscape? Well, there are still so many old-timers, Kevin Michael, uh, Dave Kuhn, and others that have left, uh, Roger Eccleston. And these guys had put in their 10, 12, uh, 25 years for Kevin. And Jim Birch, of course, has stuck with uh, myself for 40 years. So uh, as far as community is concerned, I think that what is broadcast is for the general benefit of community and campus, but campus is still foremost. Um, I feel that I'm among youthful people here all the time because I'm older than them, but um, it gives me pleasure to to be involved with that group of listeners. Uh, But I do know that there are a strong base of older community people out there because I get phone calls, I meet them over the years. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, the music that I'm playing today, I think my talent is my ears. I have a a good ear for listening to the riffs of blues. And I've also um, become attuned to my own healing as well. So I'm comfortable continuing on. And I hope that that's what I'm sending out is uh, music of truth and healing. Amazing. Well, the Blues Project, every Saturday night from 6 to 8, right here on CFRC, celebrating 100 years on the air. There were two goals that uh, I had in mind going back, um, let's say, 10 years ago. I wanted to reach the 40-year target, and I wanted to reach the 100-year target as well. You got both. I did. And so... uh, I'm I'm not going to wither away because of, I've met my goals, but I'm still I'm so pleased that I'm able to participate in something like this and the uh, the hundredth anniversary. Excellent. Well, Wayne, thank you very much uh, for spending spending some time with me today to talk about and reflect back uh, over these forty plus years here at the station. You can catch Wayne Vermette hosting the Blues Project Saturday evenings from six to eight. And that's all for Citizen K this week. Citizen K was produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Queen's University. CFRC 101.9 FM broadcasts from Kingston, Ontario on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. Thank you for listening. I'm Kareem Mosna.